I just do this all the time, that's how I know. I mean, I'm dictating. Right, okay. Okay, uh, I appreciate your uh, sending me the tapes, and I uh, really enjoyed, really enjoyed reading them. Sometimes they were, it was too much emotionally for me to, to, to get that, and uh, so, um, I have, just as you, as you describe some things, there are some, some of these are very, just not thought questions, they're just questions mm -hmm. or information that I'm interested in. Um, we talked a little bit about this last night. In retrospect, do you think it was a mistake for the Presbytery of New York City to move past the block, as I would put it, and to move the General Assembly uh, to move the question of the ordination of Bill Silver on to the General Assembly. In your opinion, was that a mistake? Would it have been better if if simply they had dealt with that, or do you think probably it was good to go the way they went? Well, again, this is so, it's been done. So, I mean, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, so why? It, it, so yeah. why? I mean, for me, it was done. It was, um, maybe they were trying to strategically think that the denomination would have to deal with it some more, you know. Um, um, of course, you know, when you look back, you think, just go ahead and do it. But um, in a way, they set in motion this huge study and dialogue, and uh, people were interviewed all over the country. I mean, when I hear Jenny, that they spent two years and hearing the pain and the stories and the love of lesbian, gay, bisexual people that they had not heard before, uh, and there were testimonies all over this country, not only of lesbian gay people and so on, but, yeah. and, and even again in 1991 when people, when they were doing the Baltimore, um, you know, the Baltimore Assembly, when they were studying the Human Sexuality Report, someone said to John Kerry, oh my God, this is so painful for the church, and he said something like, pain, you don't even know what pain is, you've got to hear the story of lesbian gay people, so, do I wish they would have done, well, sure. He's my good friend. He's gone. Bill Silver is no longer with the Presbyterian Church. Where is he? He's writing a fabulous magazine. He's doing wonderful work. He's a tremendous artist and writer. And but he's not in ministry anyway. Oh, no. The, the church has lost one of its gifted leaders. So, um, I mean, he had to get on with his life. He thinks the church, uh, well, you'll read what he thinks about the church because he... We had people in there like Sandy Broders, one of the greatest um, talents and so on, who's done, done all this work with homeless people and so on like that. And she was the one who came up before the General Assembly at Princeton, and then her scholarship was taken away. Her uh, people wouldn't sit with her. She'd meet this woman, you know. But And she's the one who writes, um, don't talk to me about, I don't need any male savior hanging on the cross for me. No, thank you. I mean, her stuff is really good. But she said, wrote me a note and said, Janie, come swim out here with me. Women in community and so on. So it's a tremendous loss to the church. Yeah. The other thing is how he pushed people to think about sexuality and spirituality and what it meant. And he felt very good about being a gay man. So yeah. Yeah. the loss is terrific yeah. for the church. Because yeah. Yeah. he's moved on. But maybe... I mean, I, you know, this is an issue that needed to get out nationally anyway. It just, uh, 
Yeah, so I can't. That's probably a good thing. Uh, you talk very poignantly in your, in your, in your on your tape about when, when your husband, when your husband gave you the book, Loving Someone Day, and then you talk, you talk to your parents, and it reminded me of the time that I had to go in my first marriage and tell my parents that we were getting divorced. I could sense the painfulness of doing that. But what astonished me even more was the talking to your boys. How old were they at that time? I think they were seven and five. Seven and five. Yeah, just amazing, beautiful. Do you think they understood what was going on? They did. Because we wanted, um, you know, as parents, you want them to know that it isn't them, that it's you. I mean, doing all the work that we do around separation and divorce with people. That mm -hmm. um, they were loved, that mommy and daddy loved them with everything. Mommy had found out something new about herself that had, that changed, changed mommy and daddy's relationship. And daddy had found out more of who he is and what he needed. And uh, um, it was really a letting go, setting another free. Uh, and our children knew that. They, they, knew, they knew that they would also be involved in whatever we did. We, we, we are a participatory family as we kept them informed so that they wouldn't be wondering. Um, we kept them as informed as we could keep ourselves informed. Because I think the thing is, Jimmy and I thought we'd be together for a lifetime. We didn't know that it, the relationship would be redefined into something that it is now. I mean, we are still in lifelong commitment, but it's very, yeah, it's a different honoring. Um, so, yes, I believe they understood. Um, I don't know if they understood exactly what homosexuality is, but they knew that mommy had found herself. Yeah. And, um, so. You said right after you talked about that uh, that you did not tell the church that you were, um, that you told the church you were splitting, but you didn't tell them the reason for that. How do you feel about that decision? Not um, I, I feel um, I feel I would do that differently now I, I, you know what it, it really is something to, because I think um, what, what is it to love the church or to love you know that particular church first press San Rafael um, people reeled from that because they saw that Jimmy and I still loved one another then what in the world is this you know what's going on, uh, what's going on really and what they thought again was that you know, here's this professional woman, and you see, when a woman does become professional and stuff like that, she begins to get into her own work, and this is what happens when women become strong and independent. I mean, you, you could almost see that that's what people were thinking. And, uh, but I think for me now, knowing what I know, um, and we did tell certain people the tr full truth, only because these are people that we had known very, you know, we were very, very good friends, and they, you know, Several of them sat us down and said, come on, you know what is this? So we did tell a few. Again, I was told um, by people that I valued 
don't um, don't tell Janie it'll split the church. We know you love the church, and you know. I mean, so I was really listening. Yeah. You, you listen in a different place, I think, too, Dick, mm-hmm. because two, I was fragile and vulnerable. Um, looking at at family, redefining family, redefining who I was, and so on. So I don't know if I could have done it in in the strength that I would now. There's no question to me now that the truth is the best way to do it, that you just say, this is what's happening. But I didn't have myself like I have now. You know, I I know what it is to to be lesbian. Just coming into that. Yeah, Yeah. and just coming out. And so, and redefining what I never thought I'd have to redefine, which is my relationship with my husband. I knew I loved him, yeah, who he was to me, and, and what is this that we would not be together forever? It just didn't make sense to me. When you were talking about that, and, uh, and that breaking up, you, you had been talking about your work with youth groups and so forth, and your statement was, working with kids has a lot to do with honesty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Say a little bit more about yes. that, pull that out a Yes. Um, at First Press San Rafael, we had huge youth groups, and and I think probably did. Um, I gathered around us wonderful advisors who were committed to hearing kids, listening. Um, and meeting with these kids, I, I said to them, I want this to be a safe place where you can talk about anything and everything, and you will not be judged, but you will be loved, talked with, listened to, and taken seriously. Well, they believed me. And in doing that, uh, Dick, during the week and everything, it wasn't only on Sunday and Sunday nights, or Wednesday nights when we had junior high and senior high, but these kids began to flock in during the week. I went over to their high schools, visited their high schools. When I would walk into their high schools, I mean, they knew who I was and introduced me to friends. So I became intricately involved in their life. They then began to become very honest with me about what was going on in their homes around abuse, around incest, around alcoholism, around joy, around relationship, about Janie, I don't know about making love, Janie, I want to make love, you know, uh, woman, man, how do we do this, you know, the retreats were phenomenal, kids opened their guts to us, and so on, so the more what I saw in their truth-telling and in their trusting me and then trusting other people, they trusted themselves. And in watching them trust themselves in their own voice and work through some horrendous stuff, um, something happened in me. <laughs> you know, you can't be in that kind of truth-telling situation and watch people begin to grow and become empowered by finally speaking whatever it is, working through their fear, that, that they were doing this to me too. I mean, uh, they, they were my teachers yeah. as well. I mean. When someone says to you, I really want to know who you are, and I really will love who you are, and come and share with me, God, they do it, then you've got to look at your stuff. And why am I not doing this? Kind of thing. So it was really with them, and it was really, I think, how Jim, how Jim worked with me, and uh, my former husband. Um, it, it, it was so much a combination. It, it was the combination of Wanda Graham Harris and, and the African-American community who, who helped me, again, spiritually, that, that I just couldn't run away from sex, my sexuality with my spirituality. The deeper I got spiritually, the more I felt sexually. 
this, I mean, if you're going to do good spiritual work, right. you're going to feel orgasmic, okay, or whatever. You're going to feel your body if you're in touch. And I'm, I got in touch, and I couldn't help feel for my friends. Petrified me. So. We move on to the, the parenthetical question. We move on to the, the council church's situation. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Jim Miller, who was uh, first president Sam Rafael. Rafael. He was the he was the third. I was there four years. He was the third pastor in four years. Okay, is that the Jim Miller and Doug Norman? Is that the Jim Miller? Jim Miller was at SFTS for a while as there. James C. Miller. I, I don't know if he was in Albany. He was very active and I think it was at Moraga. The executive presbyter of Albany Presbytery is James no, Miller. No, that's not who it that's is. That's a different moment. Yeah, it's okay. a different No, okay. different moment. Okay. So. No, not at all. all right. uh, in hearing you talk about the relationship with the Oakland Council of Churches, mm -hmm. Um, my reaction to hearing you talking was a certain ambivalence. Because on the one hand, you said, well, I don't have understanding and so forth. But then you said, don't you people tell me you love me and you treat me this way? And I want to hear you say that. Um, I'll tell you what happened to me. I Tell me what, what the ambivalence is. I, I see both a appreciation and an understanding well, the thing is, again, remember, my thing is, is to always give people the benefit of the doubt, and so on. And I, I think for me, I, I was very naive. Um, um, what, what, what I saw, which, as, as I reflect back, um, when I became executive director and they, they interviewed me and so on, um, that's when I was the first person in and I had missed the inner city very much from Pittsburgh. And so going there, um, I, I was in a Chinese Presbyterian church. I was um, working again with African-American, Asian, and European-American youth. Uh, we were putting together churches that some were African-American, some were Chinese, some were European-American, you know, from Park Boulevard to First to, to the Chinese, you know, all, all these different uh, churches. And so... I was learning a lot, multicultural. Um, I, I felt, uh, I think I said to you in, in the thing when I drove up the first day to the, to the Chinese Presbyterian Church, I, I felt like I had been there before. I mean, the women with their shopping bags greeting me and so it was, it was this was just, okay, here's the job and here we go. Isn't this wonderful? Um, and we did good work together. What, what began to, um, and then I moved, uh, a woman moved in with me and her children. She was closeted, um, and people would visit our home and so on. So it wasn't that I was being invisible at all. I mean, let me say, and also um, I think I was naive. Um, I think um, when the personnel committee met with me to talk with me, I think I said on the tape, I thought they were going to talk with me because I lived in Montclair, but I wouldn't live anywhere. Uh, and I thought, well, they said your lifestyle, and they kept saying lifestyle, and I thought that I didn't get it. And then it hit me like a, and then I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak, and um, I went home and um, thought, well, here it is. You know, here is what I thought wouldn't happen. It's happening. So what will I do? And um, 
what when it said to me when when then when okay so I what I saw was um, oh that was November and in November at the meeting in November they had everybody go around the room and say what it was like for them to have me there and what was going on people were very supportive the Chinese it was the Chinese said Janie's work with our youth it's going really well. You know, so I got a lot of support. So I thought, well, okay, they're getting this, and we're going to do the work. But it was at the December meeting when a person came from the committee. Bob McKenzie came to mm -hmm. the December meeting with me as my, as my committee on ministry liaison. That it was there that finally, uh, and it was a layperson who said, Jane, you were afraid this, this will, will dissolve. Uh, but then they kept saying, well, I said to them, well, why doesn't someone say what it's about then? Do you not like my work? You know, I need to grow from this then. What, what is it? And, so I, and it was really fun. Someone who said, Janie's because you're lesbian. And I said, well, thank you very much. It was then, um, and, and I said to them, you know, um, you know, I really hear where you are. I, I love this council, so I'm deeply concerned for it. And again, it was almost like what I did with San Rafael. It was almost like, you know, I don't want to cause... Thing. I mean, this work needs to be done here, especially it's multicultural, one of the few places that are taking multicultural work seriously. So I'm thinking, my God, I'm put into another situation of, oh God, I don't want to split this, I don't want to ruin this, I don't, you know, you know as if you could, but, um, so of course my first reaction, of course, is to do what is kind and loving, which would have been to say, if then I look now, well then, let, I'm just going to continue to do the work. But they were, I really felt, a door had slammed. Um, and that's when I wrote them a letter. You know, you need some days in between. And I wrote them this letter. I wish I, I probably got a copy of it. Which I was very loving with them. But then in the end said, please don't tell me that you love me. If you love me, we, I would still be working here. <laughs> you know, I would still be doing the work that we had come in together to do. Um, and it was then, I think, after the Open Council, that, that I saw that, that who was most threatened was not the African-American, were not the Chinese, and so on, but it, it was the, the more, the white, urban churches that, that were threatened. Um, and I think, um, and then I thought, well, I'll never do this work again. So you... you in retrospect, again, you wish they had said, okay, we understand the lifestyle question and yeah. who you are, but let's just, let's just go work. ahead, because it's working. You know, it's working. Let's go ahead and do the work. Yeah, let's go ahead and do the work. But, but that's naive, too, because at least the people were honest. That's what I think about. Now, my honesty, um, I should probably have stayed, although it felt like, for me, that the work wouldn't continue. Mm -hmm. And, and that was probably a wrong perception now that I look at it. And I've done a lot of healing around the Open Council. I preached back there at High Street about three years, four years ago. So, that was very difficult. Um, I should have gone and looked this up again, Jane, but in reading the brief of the complainants, there is some comment I'm sorry, I don't have it exactly right and remember it, but it's not terribly important. But something about the fact that this woman was never a pastor in a Presbyterian church. And 
I don't know where that came from. I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, I don't know where they got that either. Um, uh, I'll have to go back and find out exactly how they phrased it. Uh, but maybe when you you left the Oakland Council, you did the nursing for a while, and then and then you were working for the MCC. Yes, I was minister of pastoral care. Did you? Yes. Did, you were still a member of the presidency. You gotcha. Did you get permission to Absolutely. That intentionally did that so that I could also not only do it for me, but for other lesbian gay people because we set precedent. When they allowed me to do work at MCC, I absolutely had them say that I would minister outside the bounds of my presidency. And was there any scuffle over that? None. And when I became installed in Ministry of Light, now called Spectrum, when I was installed there, I was installed by three Presbyterian churches as an open lesbian. But see, watch this. It's a specialized ministry. I mean, I've been through this before. But see, it's a specialized ministry to lesbian, gay, bisexual people, people with HIV. There was not a ruckus at all. It was go and do the work. She's the best one for the job. And there was a question. Here's where you have allies. There was a question, something about, well, if we do this ministry, why don't we have a heterosexual person do it? You know, then we don't have to get into this. And it was James Noel, African-American, who said, look, right now, St. Andrews needs a black pastor. It could be fine that they have a white pastor, but right now, they need a black one. Okay, this ministry needs a gay or lesbian person to be credible, to, to do the kind of work that needs to be done. Later on, it may not, but it needs it now, and I vote for Janie Spar. Now, had James Noel not been there, and spoken out of his life experience, they may very well, for protection, for whatever, to get this thing going, they may have said, right, let's bring in a heterosexual. But then it wouldn't be and have the kind of impact that it has. You've talked several times, particularly in this section, but you go on and keep coming back to it about your allies, your heterosexual allies. Mm. How important are they and why are they important? They are absolutely, <laughs> I said that at the March 6th service, um, well, from a deep and personal, they're my friends, yeah. and, and how we treat one another. The other thing is, anyone who understands the dynamics of power understands that right now, lesbian gay people, if we say we already do not have voice or vote, and Mitzi Henderson is very clear about the role of a heterosexual ally. Because she said, we do have the voice and we do have the vote. And we do have the power. You know, in this system. What, however powerful the church is, that's a whole other question. But um, I said, unless heterosexual people bring this forward and say it's as important to them that we are here, people aren't going to hear us. Because in the end, Dick, I can be dismissed. But it's like when John Fife was toe-to-toe -to -toe with John Slew. These are two men who are heterosexual. Do you know what? It, it's it's, um, it's a power... Yeah, and it's a power differential. It's a, you know, will people share their power, share um, out of sheer numbers? <laughs> we can't do it. Out of sheer... Um, you know, what does it mean to be ally? For instance, for me, 
Um, MCC is doing a, a conference on race stuff and so on. Well, what, what they have is a prerequisite that you, if you are European-American, you cannot come to this conference without a person of color with you. I mean, some people are saying, I will not speak unless, I, I know that you want me here, but I won't speak unless a person of color is with me and so on. I mean, um, it's for instance when Herb Evans, African-American, and they said, why aren't there, why aren't there more African-American people on this hill of Kirkridge? And he turns to Connie and says, Connie, I think you know the answer to this work, don't you? And Connie says, this is our problem, it's not Herb's problem. He can't tell us, we have to do our own work, I mean, that kind of thing. Um, it's when the downtown church, when the woman said, oh my God, I thought I was doing this for you, I'm really doing it for me. And it, I know, I think for you, I think for Peter Ogleson, I think for um, um, Jimmy Spar, and so on. These are allies. These are allies, for instance, um, Jim Spar said, um, I guess the point, he doesn't care if they think he's gay or straight. He doesn't care what the hell people think. You know, his thing is, as an ally, he knows he has privilege, and he wants to be able to, to speak in places where many of us won't have the opportunity to speak. See, in the end, I don't have access to certain places. Ever since I have been involved and concerned with this issue, which I think happened really in New York, uh, and I talk to people like Howard, who's a member of my congregation, this lady, there was that tension that I also saw in the black movement, which is to say, we want to be integrated into this white structure, or do we want to pull out and have our own black power or black mm -hmm. church experience and so forth? What do we need the president to do when they're doing this such a lot of time? Mm -hmm. and I know a number of people, friends of mine, left the Presbyterian Church, administered in white people, and became, uh, and went to the MCC. Many of them went and tried it and said, I don't want this, I don't want a society which is all, which is all gay and lesbian. I want to be part of a church community where there is a whole mixture of people where that's inclusiveness. Uh, so that, that's why it was kind of what was behind that question. Of course, what happens in the Presbyterian Church will determine, I mean, if the Presbyterian just shuts, turns its back on, on, on gays and lesbians, then I think there's going to be an exodus. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that's healthy. I mean, there, there ought to be an exodus. Or, 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 oh, sure. I mean, everybody's coming at this. My thing is, I don't care how they come at it. Some people feel called to be in this church and to, to move it. Some people feel called that it's abusive and they need to do something else. Some people go UCC, some people won't go to any church. Some people are very eclectic in their spirituality. Uh, yeah, for me, um, I loved MCC. It, it helped give me my voice. Um, I fell in love with what it means to be Christian and lesbian. I um, so had a wonderful experience there. Um, and I think I told you in the tape that they may be a missionary to the mainline denominations, which I think is quite hilarious yeah. to know. But um, I... And every time I go to MCC, it's like you can see the difference between the worship on Saturday evening during Stonewall and the worship Sunday morning. You know, you have this alive, singing, moving, pulsating mm -hmm. congregation, and then you come to death. You come to death. You come to people 
who are cut off. You know, but but everybody worships differently. So I have a whole appreciation of how people hear and what they hear and what they don't hear and how people need it. You know, all different parts. So, but if you were just looking at it, you would be you would say, what is off here? Um, so I'm I'm very appreciative of MCC. I also know, I mean, um, and I do ask a lot of times, what am I doing here? And, and maybe I'll do something else. It all depends. Because I'm very interested in Eastern thought. I'm very interested in the, the Tibetan Buddhism that I'm reading now. And, um, but it's almost like a Houston's Miss thing. You have a home base. I think I talked about that. Yeah. You have a home base, but, but um, and to know that as well as I can, and, and to come out of that. Um, but to really honor, I really honor the diversity of people's approaches and how their culture works with them and their faith. And, uh, and my life experience has been deeply informed by multi-faith and multicultural people. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I, I grew up Presbyterian. That doesn't mean I remain Presbyterian. But I mean, where I am right now is um, I'm in covenant with a congregation. And I take that very seriously, and uh, and we'll have to see if the covenant shifts. It, it's it moves from you know I'm in covenant with Connie, I'm in covenant with the congregation, I'm in covenant with the society. You know, I mean, how do I be an international integrated person? And in, with some authenticity. And in some ways, you have been really covenant with the Presbyterian Church since you were born. That's right. You know, I think about that sometimes. I think sometimes the Christian church is so intolerable. And I may, I may at one point say, look, I'll take my pension, but just leave me alone. I don't have anything more to do with you mm -hmm. folks. But even having said that, uh, my roots are still there. Exactly. And I don't think you can cut them out entirely. No, no, no. And to be, you know, or how do you reintegrate the roots in you or I don't know. So so I'm just going with where I am now and I think that's all I can go with that I feel in covenant with this particular church that um, it sounds like um, it's really maybe we are talking about a different God and you know um, all that theology but I talked about that one too. Um, some of these questions are more general questions, but they come out of a specific thing that you're talking about. We're at the MCC, moving on to the Ministry of Life Spectrum. Mm -hmm. Looking at the decade 82 to 92, do you think the climate for acceptance of lesbians and gays within the churches, do you think that's getting worse? No, because, you know, wherever the church is, um, certainly in the military, I think the military and the church, it's pretty much said, don't ask, don't tell, the same kind of thing. Um,